Good evening. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is the doctor's opinion, and our speaker tonight is Chanel T. Thank you, Chanel. Thank you, Sherry. I am so glad to be here with everyone. Thank you for Heidi. It's thank you to Heidi for asking me to share tonight on the doctor's opinion. I'm excited to be here with everybody, and I hope that my words are what God wants me to say, my higher power I choose to call God, and nothing else. All right, so I'm going to start with this really quick story, okay? I was feeling really good. I had dropped my daughter off, this is yesterday, at the airport, and I was walking back to the ferry after taking the light rail, feeling really good. Like, you know, I just, I feel good today. I am getting this. I'm healthy. I'm still shedding the pounds. Yay. And I get up to, excuse me, the window and to pay. And the guy only charges me four bucks. So I'm like, huh. And as I'm walking away, I realized, oh, he charged me the 65 years of age and older discount. Yeah, I'm 55, guys. God has a sense of humor. I thought it was just great. It was very humbling and funny. So I want to spend just a few minutes telling you why I identify as a compulsive eater and what led me to OA. And then we're going to get into the chapter because it's, it's a gem. We need it. I grew up feeling like an alien in my family. Maybe some people here can relate. I didn't fit in anywhere except in one group, orchestra. Thank goodness for orchestra. I was plain looking in a family of drop dead gorgeous people. I wasn't sporty in a family of super jocks. And unlike the rest of my family, I was always, always hungry, especially for anything with flour or sugar in it. I had a family of addicts in denial and drinking was their thing. Nobody looked like a compulsive eater, not even me. Growing up, it was invisibly in this disease until my late 20s. So some people in here may be able to relate to that. Uh, <laughs> but I was definitely in this disease for as long as I can remember. I was always trying to get more food in a way where I was polite. I was a good girl and hopefully I wouldn't get caught sneaking it. But it wasn't in my house. So it was at friends' houses where I was physically with them, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually focused on getting more of that little snack that their parent gave us. That's where I was. I was only with the person in body, every part of me otherwise. Same with holidays. Holidays were just an excuse to binge on my alcoholic foods. That's really all they meant to me in the disease. Being real about it from my teens on, I've lived on a roller coaster, okay? So it's getting the sugar flour hit, which took more and more as the years went by, just like any drug, riding that high for an increasingly shorter time, just like any drug, and then hitting a harder crash through the years, harder and harder crash that took a bigger and bigger toll on my health and my sanity. So I might've looked okay. I might've come off a diet and been okay for a little while or so I looked, but I was a mess between the years, just a mess. And I was always waiting for that next hit. Always. I'm so grateful that I never, that I was always afraid, too afraid of other drugs to try them and only on occasion alcohol and got scared away from that quickly. And being honest, food was enough for me. 
after my mom died unexpectedly at 59, I spent a little time not eating at all. I actually forgot to eat in my grief. But then once I started eating again, I couldn't stop. They're the first time in my life I could not stop. I was 28 years old. I dove fully into the food. It had always been my friend. Now it became my greatest companion, my lover, my significant other. I mean, to be real, it was everything that a codependent, abusive relationship with a partner is. That, that's what food became for me. And I kept trying different ways to control it because for the first time it showed on my body and I kept trying. I tried so many different things that we don't even need to go into right now. Most of you have tried them as well, I'm sure. That's another topic for another time, but eventually they all failed. Eventually, so I went on a new ride. It wasn't just the roller coaster of the sugar and flour high anymore. Now it was the yo-yo dieting ride. And I remained there for many years. Fast forward to, yes, I am using notes. That's what you're hearing the best. <laughs> Fast forward to 2016 when I hit that special time of life as a woman in middle age and my metabolism just could not keep up. It couldn't keep up. And so I joined OA to lose the weight. That's why I joined it. I think that's why a lot of people join. I wanted to lose the weight. And sure, I'd go to your meetings, get a food plan, make three outreach calls a day, call my sponsor. I even work the steps as much as anyone can work them who's not fully abstinent. Don't tell anyone, but I actually thought I could eat quiche because it's savory, not sweet, right? Pie crust, right? Okay. We didn't use the big book and I didn't even know it could be used for recovery from compulsive eating. I didn't see recovery in the meetings. We didn't have Zoom back then. And unbeknownst to me, I really just wanted free dieting with group support. That's what I wanted. And I left in 2017 with a resentment because I didn't think OA worked. Well, thank God for the gift of desperation, G-O-D. By the end of 22, I was at least, and I meant 2022 there, I was at least 90 pounds overweight. I'd stopped getting on the scale. I was pushing out of six sizes too large for my normal body. And that may not sound like a lot to some of you, but the effects were profound. I was exhausted all the time, even with hormonal medications on board. My body hurt constantly. Even getting out of bed was a big process. And I felt like I was dying and I almost succumbed to it. The only reason that I didn't is I realized, you know what? My parents both died young and I missed them. And I'm the only parent of this child who is a teen now. And I'd like to be around. I'd like to know her as an adult. I might even get to know my grandchildren, who knows? So I reached up to my higher power that I call God. And I heard a quiet voice tell me to try Overeaters Anonymous. Didn't tell me to try, told me to go to Overeaters Anonymous. And I came back and I heard about big book-based recovery in OA. I heard about getting a big book-based sponsor, which is what I did, and the rest is history. This is the only time in my entire life, 55 years, that I've lived in food neutrality that I feel in recovery. I'm not cured, but I'm recovered, and I am incredibly grateful. It is amazing. Now we get to the good stuff. If you're like me and like to skip to the main part of the story, I can tell you that the doctor's opinion is foundational to this story. It's the textbook of recovery, and that's a foundational chapter of it. Not only does the big book work for alcoholics, but this simple spiritual program works for compulsive eaters like me just as well. I'm living proof of it. 
We wouldn't try to solve a problem without understanding what the problem is, right? And we wouldn't try to treat a disease without understanding the diagnosis. So that's what the doctor's opinion does. Why does a compulsive eater like me need a doctor's opinion? I know I have a weight issue. I know these things, right? I know that certain food, why? I'm glad you asked. The problem is not actually the food. I'll say it again. The problem isn't the food. What? It's emotions. The problem is living life on life's terms. That is the problem. And for a compulsive eater, food is actually the solution. Stuffing myself with alcoholic foods is an anesthetic. It's a way of staving off the uncomfortable, isolating, and, and it isolates me, right? It isolates me from everything I don't want to feel, even the good feelings. I don't have a food problem. That's shocking, I know. I have a life problem, a problem between my ears that I solve with my addiction one bite at a time. Here's where Dr. Silkworth and the doctor's opinion, if you have your big book, hits us between the eyes. We can mentally replace words about alcohol with compulsive eater, eating, and alcoholic foods. And my apologies to anyone. I'm not sophisticated enough to make it non-gendered language. So I'll have you translate that too. It's in the last paragraph on page XXVIII, 28 for my Roman numeral scholars. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Effect. In other words, it's not the alcohol. It's not the food, right? It's the effect. The sensation is so elusive, elusive meaning it's difficult to find, catch, or achieve, that while they admit it is injurious, we know it's bad. We know it's harmful. They cannot, after a time, differentiate between the true and the false. So that means I'm going to eat as a compulsive eater past the point where I'm full. I'll eat things I know harm me, or someone will starve themselves when they know that's harmful, or they'll binge and purge until they can barely breathe, until their teeth are in danger of falling out, right? I'm going for that elusive effect, that feeling which keeps me from having to feel anything else, and I will do it at all costs. Now I'm going back to the paragraph. To them, the alcoholic life seems the only normal one. I didn't know any other way to eat. It isn't what that I wasn't taught another way to eat. It's that I had trained myself over time that this is how I eat. They are restless, irritable, and discontented. By what? By life, by feelings, by thoughts, by what's going on between my ears. Unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, bites, right? Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. Why can't I just eat like everybody else? They eat that stuff. Why are they not having this problem? After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving, we're going to come back to that. The phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known states of a spree stages. Mistyped there. Stages of a spree. So a binge, right? Emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. Oh, I'll never eat that way again. My diet is starting tomorrow. For real. That's, that's it. I'm going keto. I'm going low carb. I'm going high carb. Whatever. Right? I'm, that's a firm resolution. I'm going to do it. This is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, another thing we're going to come back to, there is very little hope of his recovery. Thanks for staying with me through that. Going back to the phenomenon of craving, Dr. S describes it a page earlier. 
on page XXVIII, going back to 28 there, he talks about that double whammy, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. It's in the first full paragraph, skipping a couple words, the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy and the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class. So it doesn't happen in non-addicts. It doesn't happen in non-compulsive eaters. It happens in addicts. It happens in a compulsive eater. These allergic types can never, he said never, safely use any alcohol or alcohol in any form at all. What does that mean? It means I can't ingest my alcoholic foods and ingredients in any form without triggering, triggering that allergic reaction that leads to the craving. I have a severe latex allergy, guys. So, you know, the gloves, other things, I can't be near them. They can't touch me. If they do, it becomes life-threatening really quickly. So I can't use my willpower. I can't think it away. And I certainly can't ignore it or I could die. That's an allergy. This is an allergy. All right. So continuing with that paragraph and once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. So step one, we admitted we were powerless over food. It's an allergy that triggers a phenomenon of craving. Okay? And our lives had become unmanageable. He says it up there. Their problems pile up on them and become difficult to solve. Right? Couldn't get the weight off, couldn't stop eating. Maybe I started being rather ugly to my family when I was either dieting or binging or any of the other behaviors that go along with it, right? And it, there's no maybe in that. I did. Great, now that we can see the problem for what it is, we can move on to a solution. I didn't say cure because there's no known cure for this allergy anymore that I'm going to be able to wear latex, right? but we can arrest this illness. Thank goodness. We have a treatment plan that's effective as long as we do it. I have to take the medicine. I have to work all 12 steps. Simple fact. Check out the next paragraph on page XXIX. On the other hand, and strange as it may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change, there it is again, has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. In other words, what? Being abstinent and working the steps. A fellow and part of my God squad frequently says, quite frequently, this isn't a program for people who want it. This isn't a program for people who need it. This is a program of recovery for people who do it. And I'm living proof of that because I've tried every other way, even studying it. I've tried all of that. This is the only thing that works is actually doing it. And the third full paragraph on that same page, XXIX, faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. So doctors cannot treat or cure compulsive eating any more than they can treat or cure alcoholism. There are surgeries, there are many things that they do and they can be effective on some of the symptoms, right? Five minutes remaining. Thank you so much, Lacey. And 
they can, but they cannot cure the addiction. There's no known cure for that. There's no known treatment for that that I know of that works the way this program does. And it's paradoxical, right? Because you have a bodily allergy, you have a mental twist, but it's a spiritual solution to it. And for anyone out there who's like, stop talking about God. I hear you. I was there. And you could still be there. There are staunch atheists who get this recovery. Okay. It's a spiritual program. It doesn't say it's religious. It doesn't say that. Okay. I'm continuing on with that. And although he, the doctor, gives all that is in him, it is often not enough. One feels that, here we go, something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. We have to go to a higher power. We have to go to a power greater than ourselves because we're powerless. I'm powerless over this addiction. I'm powerless over my life problem where I turn to the food to solve it but it doesn't solve anything. It just makes it feel good for a minute. And then there's the crash and burn and all the other effects that I don't want. This is the crux of the program of Overeaters Anonymous, a psychic change that a higher power facilitates and that HP works even for the staunchest atheists, as I said before, and I've seen it, I think of it like this. I do the steps. I do the footwork, right? I, I do my due diligence of staying abstinent, working these steps, staying abstinent, working these steps, working with others, carrying the message, coming to meetings, all the tools. But I have a spiritual awakening by doing it in action. I have a spiritual awakening. Higher power is in me. I feel that presence, that God consciousness, if you will. And in doing so, God does for me what I cannot do for myself. God removes the craving on a daily basis. I have lived in food neutrality now for the first time in 55 years, as I said earlier. And that is an incredible thing. I get to enjoy life without worrying about if I'm going to have enough food or I'm going to have to hide food or how am I going to pay for food. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Two minutes. Thank you so much. And I'll wrap up by just saying to anyone who's new, I promise these promises are real. And there are promises throughout this book, even in this chapter, that tell us that if we follow these simple rules of working these steps, and I know most of us are rebels, I don't like rules either. But if I follow this simple, not necessarily easy program, and it's a we program, so I take others' hands and I make sure that I'm walking with a sponsor and I'm doing the things that my sponsor suggests, and I stay in this textbook of recovery and I'm teachable and I'm humble, the promises come true. Because if they can for me, they can for you. And that's all I have tonight. Thank you so much for letting me share. And I pass. Oh, thank you so much, Chanel, for, um, for being here tonight and being of service and sharing about the doctor's opinion. We're going to now open the meeting for questions. 
um, or for three-minute shares, as this is a big book study, sharing in question should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. So if you've joined us after we started, we're on the doctor's opinion tonight. And we ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine if you're on the phone. And, um, and then we'll call on the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would, the, um, would Lacey please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. And if, if um, Chanel is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Okay, Lisa is up. Hi, Lisa, compulsive overeater. Um, Chanel, I'm glad I uh, sent out the word. This was great, but even happier that this has been recorded. Um, you know, it's kind of cool that you got the doctor's opinion. I always want to get like a, a cool section. <laughs> this is the coolest. Everyone's like, oh, this is my favorite part of the big book. And you hear this all the time, like vision or anywhere. No, this is my favorite part of the big book. And so what happened was when I got to Zoom on, um, you know, when we got to Zoom period, it was like, I don't know what it was. It must've been like, doctor's opinion week or something. I don't know. It's like doctor's opinion was getting shoved down my throat. It needed to be. <laughs> I needed to hear it. I needed to understand it. How long have I been around? I did not either believe it, understand it, agree with it, whatever. And so this time around, that's all I hear. Well, I hear spirituality a lot more. I'm no longer a retread. I'm a returning member. <laughs> There's, it's nicer and more gentle now, but the doctor's opinion was something that I just kind of read. I didn't like internalize it like I do now. And I'm telling you, let it be doctor's opinion month or year because it made a difference in my life. So thanks, Chanel. I'm so happy to see you. Thanks, Lisa. Um, Lisa C is up next, followed by Nancy P. Go ahead, Lisa. Hi, everybody. My name is Lisa and I am a compulsive overeater. Um, and, and yeah, the, the doctor's opinion, um, is is my favorite chapter and, and like you chanel i believe that this is if you don't understand the doctor's opinion um you're not going to understand your disease and um i got you know I, I came into oa in um october of 21 <clears throat> and um i had 33 years in in that in aa and i've always you know spent a lot of time on the doctor's opinion and i've I wanted to really go deep into it with the food, you know, because I know it's, it, I understand it with the alcohol and the other stuff, but I want to really truly understand it with the food. And so I really liked your share. You really went deep into it. Um, the problem is not the food. Um, the problem is living life on life. Um, and that we have a life problem that fixes with food or something like that, something to that effect. And um. You know, this is our diagnosis. You know, if I don't understand my diagnosis and understand what the cure is, um, I, I'm not going to get this. So I, I am full heartedly agreeing with that. Um, we have simple rules. We have a treatment plan. I'm in the medical. I was in the medical field, so having a treatment plan, I understand that. <laughs> um, simple rules: follow a food plan and work the steps. You make it sound so easy, <laughs> and it is that easy. It's just the discipline that it takes to do it. Um, yeah, I just want to thank you. Um, I really appreciate your share. And I am definitely going to listen to it again when it comes out on the on the 
Thanks, Lisa. Nancy Pisa, followed by Lacey. Go ahead, Nancy. Hi, um, thanks, Sherry. Hi, everybody. Nancy P. Recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. Thank you, Chanel. I was a teeny tiny bit late, but um, I heard most of it. In fact, probably all of it about the doctor's opinion. Anyways, um, I love this chapter. It reminds me um, about, you know, this is where I find, this is in this chapter, I tell my own sponsees, the notes that I read to them are, this is where we understand, begin to understand the nature of our malady. And this is where Nancy P surrendered with no negotiation. The battle is over and I lost. And the doctor's opinion tells me that it's not about um, I'm fat and I wanna be thin or I'm thin and I'm terrified of getting fat. It's none of those things. It's about surrender. It's about understanding the nature of my malady so that I know what to surrender about, you know, so that I know what not to cling on to. And um, there's two things in this chapter that are my favorite. Um, and one is where it says, um, it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And I love the word entire. It's one of my five most important words in the book, but it, it, immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate because as compulsive readers, we personify abstinence. We give abstinence powers that it, powers and characteristics that it doesn't have. And um, the seething cauldron of debate is that abstinence is gonna take care of the problem, but it doesn't because the craving remains. So I'm, I am always acutely aware of that. I mean, my food, my relationship with food is in its place. I never think about it. I never cheat, hide, sneak, or lie. But I always want to remember that um, it's not about abstinence. And the, the other thing in, in this chapter that I love so much is my actually my favorite line in the entire book, which is, you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. And the reason I like that is because today my word is good. I mean what I say and I say what I mean. And I don't talk smack. Certainly not about the program, maybe other things. And, you know, it allows me to confront myself. And uh, I'll just give you one funny, to me, it was funny. Um, I was leaving my house yesterday to go to the grocery store and a car drives up across the street. And I think the people across the street get a lot of stuff, deliveries from Amazon here and there, whatever they get, they're always, someone's always delivering something. So the guy does his business and is leaving their house and he starts to turn his car around. And I immediately thought, is he gonna turn around in my driveway? Hate that, I can't believe it, oh my God. And he doesn't turn around in my driveway. He goes up and around, whatever. He doesn't come in my driveway. But I did not stop, you know, complaining to myself. Like, can you believe that? He's going to come. He's gonna... <laughs> and I said to myself, I said, you're sick. Because I could not let go. I could not leave that behind. And I, you know, I knew what the solution uh -huh. was. But, you know, the doctor's opinion shows me in living color that I'm not cured, even though it feels cured. So that's it. Thanks, Nancy. Lacey's up next, followed by Hannah B. Thank you. Um, I'm Lacey, a recovered compulsive overeater, and I love you, Chanel. And you didn't even tell me you were speaking, or maybe you did, and I forgot, which is so possible, and we just talked today. Um, gosh, you know, this, it is so important for me to understand what is wrong with me. And it's so important for me to understand that it's not my fault. I am so good at shaming myself and um, 
I have lots of negative talk still. Um, I have to be really gentle and kind to myself. My sponsor calls it unconditional friendliness toward myself. Um, and I think she said that to me every time I call her, which means I'm not getting it because she's having to keep reminding me. But it's I felt this way, you know, when I went into AA years and years ago, too. Like, oh, my God, there's something really wrong with me. It's not just that I'm crazy. Like, there's something really wrong and there's a solution. Um, so it is so important for me to remember because it's never going to be different. It's, you know, and I also, that's my favorite line, I think, in the whole book about the entire abstinence that Nancy um, read, because it's not something I can mess around with. It's not something I can play with. It's not, um, it's very, very, very serious. And there's a lot of levity and love and laughter in these meetings. But, you know, people die from this disease all to the, uh, you know, all the time. And I know we all have family members um, or people that we know that are, uh, struggling aside uh, addiction from some sort. And I talked to my birth mother today, who is one of us and in a rehab in North Carolina today, and that she will never leave. And, and it's, it was, it's all about compulsive overeating, you know, all of her health issues stem from that. And I am her DNA genetic daughter, you know, like I, it could be, that could be my life. And it's only the grace of God and me, you know, yes, I have a part in doing the work. Um, and I loved what you said about, you know, I just do the work. I stay abstinent and I do the step work. And and really a, a gift has been given to me that I do not really comprehend. And a lot of days I don't feel worthy of, uh, but I get up and do what you've asked me to do so that I can keep it and share with other people. So I'm super grateful and thank you. Thanks, Lacey. Hannah B is up next, followed by Tricia C. Hi, Hannah B. I'm Tennessee Compulsive Reader. Hi. Hi, Chanel. Thank you so much for your share. I'm so glad you're sharing tonight because it got me on this meeting. Um, I love you. I just, I'm so grateful for you. You're such a gift in this program and I'm grateful for your, just your, your, your groundedness in it and your um, your recovery. It's just really um, so wonderful and such a great example. And um, mm, I've been on a Zoom meeting for nine hours today. So I'm really, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm glad you're here to get me on this meeting because I'm like back in front of the screen again. But this is really where I need to be. Um, the entire psychic change, like, this is an entire soul change. This is a whole soul transformation that has to happen. This is the only solution left for me. Like, I can't disassociate any other way anymore. And so, you know, I consider myself like a brand new newcomer, brand new, been in program for almost 21 years, brand new. And I recently worked the steps quickly, entirely abstinent. And so I still really feel like I am in the middle of soul burn, soul transformation, and it is happening. And, you know, um, there, it's like, this is it. Like, this is this, you know, I mean, I know I've, I feel like I've been in this transformation for a long time, but this is, this is, this is real. <laughs> like doing it totally abstinent is, is a whole different thing. Um, so um, you know, cause I came in through other programs. So 
you know, this chapter, I love this chapter and I love that it really has been able to be received this time with, you know, you said to look at this, you know, with open, with new ears, fresh ears and fresh eyes. And I was able to do that. And God really um, allowed me to have a very, a powerful step one this time as a result of that. And re and really like seeing how this, disease really manifests you know and, and like how powerless I am and how hopeless I am and this restless irritable and discontentness is just the state of my untreated addiction you know so I have to have this because if I go back to restless irritable and discontent I pick up like that's just the fact so um I'm here for it and I'm grateful for you guys thank you for being here thanks Hannah Trisha's up next followed by Nancy G Hi, everyone. Uh, Trisha C., Compulsive Eater in New Hampshire. So grateful to be here. Thank you for all of you doing service today. I love the paragraph. I think it's XXVIII. I'm not sure which um, version, but I think that's the right page. Um, the first full paragraph when it says, you know, we believe and so suggested a few years ago, the action of, I'll just change it to food for a second. The action of food on me is is like the manifestation of an allergy. Like, do I really believe that? That the, what food does to me is like an allergy, right? And then I get this phenomenon of craving. And for me, the phenomenon of craving, the best way I can describe that for me is like, I would eat and I would feel so sick because I'd eaten so much in the day and I would feel so bad. And the only thing I could do I could think of to make myself feel better was to eat more. Like that makes no sense. So obviously that's a phenomenon of craving, right? Like someone very close to me in my life has that with alcohol. And I can't understand that because when I used to have like one drink, I used to feel so sick. And I was like, oh, I don't want that. I would feel so sick from certain foods. I just wanted more of that. That is not a normal reaction. That's like a distinct entity kind of reaction that I want more of what's making me sick. That makes no sense. Um, and then like, do I think that um, I can use these things, this food in any form at all? Like, do I really think I can, it's okay for me to use the food in any form at all? And then it says, um, my reliance upon things human my problems pile up on me and become astonishingly diff difficult to solve. And that's true. And I just want to say for me that the this phenomenon of craving also manifests in behaviors. Like for me, just popping food in my mouth, even if it's a piece of broccoli or a green bean. Oh, I hope it's okay. I said that here. But like anything, it doesn't matter what it is. If I'm popping it in my mouth, that creates the phenomenon of craving. And I need entire abstinence from that. And for me, entire abstinence is not because it's a rule and I need entire abstinence. Entire abstinence I need because otherwise I'm triggering the phenomenon of craving. Like I have to have abstinence so I don't trigger the allergy. It's not because I'm like being strict or whatever. Um, and then later on, frothy emotional feels seldom suffices. And it says at the bottom of that paragraph, 
you know, in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than, than themselves. And the doctor mentions this power like four more times, more than human power is needed. This is a doctor talking about more than human power. Like that's Hi. And I'm just going to that. Thank you. Thanks, Tricia. And now I'm going to ask um, that we stop the recording for the unrecorded questions or shares.